It is the, uh, the 50th anniversary of this local church body. We're celebrating that in these months here at Coast Community. And uh, this church has been around in Santa Barbara for 50 years. It's pretty amazing. It's miraculous, really. It's quite, uh, quite awesome. Uh, some of you who were around a couple years ago remember that we celebrated the, 100, the 100th uh, anniversary of the denomination, the Church of the Nazarene that was kind of came into being in 1908, and uh, so we celebrated that a couple years ago. Just seems like we're always celebrating an anniversary, right? Or one thing or another, and uh, that's good. But we'll we'll do this. Uh, we'll really focus in next Sunday uh, in the morning, and then in the evening at our celebration dinner on that that uh, celebrating 50 years. But remember what we're talking about in these weeks, along with just celebrating what God has done. We're we're anticipating what God is going to do. And uh, whether it be the next 10 years, 25 years, 50 years, 100 years, whatever it might be, that the Lord would give us the opportunity to serve Him in this place, we want to be ready. And we want to, uh, to go with Him and walk with Him into that future. And uh, so we're talking about, in these weeks, our core values. And uh, we're thinking about our core strength as a, as a church. We've been talking about, you know, as... The core muscles of a human body as they grow stronger, those abdomen and lower back and pelvic and deep spinal muscles, as they grow stronger, they kind of set the foundation, right, for, for the human body and the other muscles and the, other, the rest of the body to function as it's supposed to and to function for the length of time that it is supposed to and designed to. And so we're saying the same thing about the church as we strengthen the core of our church, as we strengthen the, the, the essence or who we are at the, at the very core of who we are, then we believe, too, that we can lay a foundation that uh, we can continue to grow stronger in and, and become all that God would have us to be in the time and for the season that he would have us to, to do that. So, talking about the core values, and, and so far we've looked at two, and today we look at the final one. So, uh, if, you know, this is nice, a little three-part sermon series, if, uh, hasn't really been working for you, then, you know, today we're done with it. But if it has been working for you, then we're building up to the third, uh, you know, and, and ultimate one today here. So the last couple of weeks we looked at these. Maybe before you put them up, uh, Lauda, let's see, let's take a little quiz. The first one is we are a, I heard it, some of you were in Carpentria last night, you got a refresher course. Uh, we are a Christian people, all right? You can put that one up. We are a Christian people. We talked about how we, we want to have right beliefs and we want to have right behaviors or right practices. But the most important part of what it means to be a Christian people is that we focus on the right person, Jesus Christ. He is the center. He is the well. He is the one that we come to to draw that refreshment and that, that life and uh, that we just get closer and closer to and live out of his life. So we are a Christian people. The second one, don't put it up yet, we are a... Holiness. Hey, very nice. I had to check to make sure it wasn't up there yet, and you got it right. We are a holiness people. And so last week, remember, we talked about the optimism of God's grace that we can have. Not a tremendous optimism in our own selves, and our own strength, but a tremendous optimism in what God can do in us. We talked about this concept of the love of God so filling us that it actually begins to exclude or push out the sin that has reigned in our lives. We talked about the possibility and the hope of actually living a Christ-like life. Beautiful. Hope you've been living into that this week. So we're a Christian people. We're a holiness people. And today we talk about the third. Does anybody know it? We are a... Mission. 
missional people. We are a missional people. And again, this is the word that when I type it into my computer, it always comes up with a red line underneath it, which means Microsoft does not understand it to be an actual word. Uh, uh, spell checking, you know, wanting me to change it. But no, I keep pressing on. It will be missional. We will be missional. And we want to keep pressing into that as well uh, today. So basically, this just talks about what it means to be on a mission. We are people who, because we are Christian, because we believe in the possibility of holy living, we feel that it is just uh, appropriate then to let our lives spill out in mission with and for God. In the uh, core values of the Church of the Nazarene, we say it like this. It says, as Christian, holiness people, we embrace the mission of God in the world. Through God's grace, responding to Christ, and empowered by the Holy Spirit, our Christian mission calls us to worship, to witness, and to discipleship as we extend God's mission in the world. We are on a mission with God and for God in the world. Now, the word missional, the missional church, is, or a missional people, is quite a, uh, a buzzword these days. If you read much in kind of the church world circles like I do, the books and the blogs and the magazine articles and these things, there are lots of people talking about what it means to be missional. It may not be, you know, a, a real word, but we have adopted it as one and we have added all sorts of definitions and all sorts of ways of thinking about what it means to be a missional church. Some people just kind of think of it as being just another fad or another phase or just another program or kind of a different model of being the church. But you need to know that when we talk about being a missional church, we're, we're really not talking about anything that is dramatically new, dramatically different. In fact, if you read the book of Acts, as we did in the adult Bible study this morning, you'll see that what it means to be a missional church is actually just to kind of return to the earliest church, the earliest believers, the earliest Christians, and how they were living out what it meant to be the people of of God. And so we're thinking about what it means to be missional. But what that means is that it will require a shift in our thinking from a more traditional model, what the church has emerged to become, what the church has become in the years between the early church and now, a shift in our thinking from that model of church back to or into this new way of thinking about church. And so uh, there's, there's, just, there's lots of different ways we could talk about this transition or this shift in thinking, but I just want to give you really quick just a, a, a few ideas that we can think about this as we move from, from being a traditional expression of church to more of a missional expression uh, of, of church. One, one way we might think about, about this is moving from a maintenance mindset to one of movement. From moving from maintenance to this idea of movement. In a traditional church, in other words, and what has become in this era of Christendom that we have kind of come from in, the, in recent years and actually over the last you know, few hundred years, there, there has become this idea of church that we just kind of, we're, we're here to kind of maintain. And a lot of that is we're here to maintain what we have, right? And maintain our property and our buildings, maintain our our programs, maintain our income, maintain our reputation, uh, maintain our staff and our pastors. It's just to kind of hold on to what we have and make sure that 
maybe we don't maybe move forward, but at least we don't fall back. And really what this has produced is a lot of churches and the church in general as being just either holding pat or losing ground in our world. And so to be a missional church really means to think less about just status quo maintaining and instead a movement, being a part of the movement of God in the world. And, and we sang about that this morning. We, oh, we, we can't remember the words now, but oh, Lord, we know that you're moving is what the song said, the first song we sang this morning. So to be a part of a movement is to think about how God is stirring, how God is working in the world, to identify the different places where he is doing new things and fresh things, where, where fresh work is kind of rising up. And as a church then, to not be so concerned about holding the status quo, but instead tapping into the movement of God. Where is, where is it working? Where it is showing up? So moving from maintenance to movement. The second one we might think about is this idea of moving from attraction, a model of a church as being kind of an attractional model, from moving from attraction to incarnation, from attractional to incarnational. And uh, um, this is really kind of thinking about a church. The attractional model might be kind of a model of a church as a come and see, right? Come and see what we're all about. And so we want to have a really nice, nice worship service. And we really want to have nice, lots of things going on here at the church for people. And so come on and check us out. And we'll invite you and you come and see what's happening here in this place. And, 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 and we really want to attract you uh, to come and check out what's going on here. Instead, a, a, a missional church will think about, instead of being come and see, we think about maybe going to be the hands and feet of Jesus in the world. And so when we talk about incarnation, remember the, the, the meaning of incarnation. Jesus came and became flesh. God became flesh in Jesus. He came to our turf. He came to where we are. He came to experience our life, and he came to serve us uh, in that place. And so like him, we too as missional people want to go to where hurting people are, to go to where the needs are, to go to where brokenness is, and to minister in that place. One person said it like this, instead of kind of presenting Jesus, it's like, come and see, we'll present Jesus to you. He talked about representing Jesus or re-presenting Jesus in the world in which we live. So another model that we might think of moving from attraction to incarnation. And the last one that I just want to mention briefly is this idea of moving from programs to people. Moving from programs to people. And a, and a, and a traditional church might just really focus on having a, a different program for each person in the family, right? You know, or, or whatever uh, place in life you might find yourself. We want to have a specific program just for that. And and maybe these programs in certain churches have become so we can just kind of keep the church folks happy, right? So they'll keep coming. We want to keep you happy. Or we just want to keep you entertained, right? And so, you know, they'll, you'll, you'll keep coming so we can maintain. See how this all ties together. But a, a missional church would be less about just having programs, just for the sake of having programs. And would be all about investing and pouring into people, whatever that means, and helping them to grow in discipleship, to grow in their growth, to become equipped, to be trained, to be taught, to be led, to be nurtured, to be released into ministry. And whether that's from the age of a child to, to our oldest attender or member, it'll mean pouring into that person where they are and helping them to, to fully become all that God designed them to be. Whether that's through a program, whether that's through a relationship, whatever the, the, the means might be, the end is the shaping of the person. So... 
keep these in mind, moving from maintenance to movement, uh, from attraction to incarnation, and from programs to people. And this might be helpful for many of us to uh, kind of get a, an idea of what it looks like to be a missional church. But if this doesn't work for you, I want to do one more visual, uh, visual aid this morning. Last week, the oil and water worked pretty well, so I, I thought we'd try this again. But for this one, I need six volunteers. Do I have six volunteers? Can I get six? Can I get six volunteers? I need you to come right, up on, right on up here, please. And I just need you to right here on this platform right here, just get in a circle. Okay, five. I need one more. Can I get one more? Can I get a witness? Come on up, Gil. Okay. All right, and just get in a circle there. Just stand in a, that's a, that's a horseshoe. Okay, that's a circle. Okay, now, I just want to tell you, when we say stand in a circle, this is how people stand, right? And this is not a bad thing. This is just a, a nice circle. But this is a, probably a pretty good model, actually, of of thinking about the traditional church. Uh, uh, hold on just a second, turn back around. I, I'm not criticizing or critiquing, I'm just saying, you know, this is maybe how we, we do traditional church. We, we kind of stand around in a circle and we look at each other. Just hold hands for a second, you guys. Kumbaya, my Lord, kumbaya. Okay, that's, that's enough of that. But this is kind of what we do. And, and maybe you just put your arms around, kind of your shoulders for a second. Yeah, that's the holy huddle right there. Okay, that's enough of that. Okay, that's enough of that. Come on out. Come on out. Now, this is kind of what we do in a traditional church. We look at each other, and there's nothing really wrong with us necessarily. It's really nice, in fact. They're, they're connected. They're really having a great time listening to them talking to each other. They're building relationships. It's really nice. But now, there are other ways that we might think about. They're touching each other's heads and everything. But there are other ways that we might think about doing church, right? And they began to do it just a minute ago. So what's another way that we might stand in a circle to demonstrate how we might live as a church? All right. So look at this one. Now this is another example of how many churches kind of model themselves or form themselves. And they're outward looking, right? They're, they're geared towards the people all around them uh, and, and seeing what's going on and seeing the people and the needs and the concerns. But I got to tell you, if, for these people standing in this circle, how do you feel right now? You feel maybe a little ostracized, a little, ostracized, yeah. a little awkward. You're wondering what's going on behind you. And, and when we did this last night in Carpentria, when we got in this circle like this, they all started talking to each other, you know, but are not to each other, about each other. And, and very distinct and separate and almost kind of, you know, disconnected. And so while this is a learned behavior, and there's a lot of churches that kind of operate in this method, I'm not sure that this is perhaps the most biblical or most appropriate and most helpful method of church either. So is there another way that you can think of that you might stand uh, in order to kind of best exemplify the, uh, the church? <laughs> now this isn't bad. This isn't bad, right? I'm not sure we can get the perfect model by six people standing around in a circle, but this isn't bad right here. You're able to stand in a circle and, and even if you wanted to, maybe link arms or, or grab hands in the middle and have a sense of connection right here and be able to look into one each other. Could you guys be quiet? I'm trying to talk. <laughs> they're connected, right? And they're, and they're able to draw strength from each other and, and learn from each other and and build into and pour into each other, but they don't do it just for the sake of, of kind of enjoying each other. They do it for the sake of then, when they are strengthened, they are able to then look out. Look out. 
and look out for the people in, around them and the needs around them and, and take what they're learning and getting and gaining here and take it out to the world around them. And I would submit to you that this perhaps is the picture of the missional church. So if maintenance to movement, attraction, incarnational, and programs to people don't work for you, then maybe this picture of the circle will speak to you. All right, you guys can have a seat. Let's give me a round of applause, Kelly. Well done. Well done, my friends. Well done. So um, the missional church, the missional people, this is what we are becoming. There's another passage from the book of Colossians. We've been looking at this, this little book in the last couple of weeks. It's another, another passage from chapter 4 that I think speaks very well to what it means to be a missional people. And it begins to lay the groundwork, the framework for how we can become, and not only us, but every church and every Christian person can become more and more moving in this missional direction and transitioning and shifting our ways of thinking to get back more in line, perhaps, with the earliest expressions of what it meant to be the church. And this is from Colossians chapter 4. I just want to read it to you, but I'd love to have you stand with me as I do. And actually, it'll be on the screens, and it's kind of short, so let's just read it together. Can we do that? Let's read out loud and nice and bold and, and powerful, and we'll end by, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord, and you can say thanks be to God. But let's read. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly, as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. This is the word of the Lord. Be to God. Uh, you can have a seat. I'll just tell you right up front, when we talk about being missional, we are kind of having an insider's conversation here a little bit today. This is kind of a you know, this is kind of a facing each other kind of deal. So if you're a visitor with us today, or if you don't really necessarily consider yourself a part of the church, part of the kingdom, then, then this might be a little bit foreign, you know, or it might be a little bit funny to you. But I hope that it's still, you're able to get a sense of the kind of people that we want to be in order to reach out to and include and, and to bring the good news that we've experienced in Jesus Christ to the world around us. This is a beautiful passage of scripture that, that Paul uh, shares to us as he wanted to give these Colossians as he was, people in Colossae, just kind of wrapping up his letter, some final exhortations about how they're to live in the world, some very practical instruction as to how they're carry out being the people of God. Now I am a, uh, as many of you know, I am a, like a professional assistant coach. Uh, that's what I do. I don't really, I'm not a professional because I don't get paid for it, but I am the assistant coach on whatever teams my kids play on. And uh, so I've become, you know, a soccer coach, a basketball coach, and currently I'm a baseball coach. And one of the things that we get to do when we coach six and seven-year-old boys and some eight-year-olds is we get to remind them that they are actually, you know, playing baseball. Um, be <laughs> Because often, as if you ever watched a game like this, they get out in the field. And baseball, again, no offense to you hardcore baseball fans, but it's a little slow from time to time. It can be. 
a little slow from time to time. No, no harsh criticism there, but from time to time, especially if you're six, seven, eight years old, and if you're playing the outfield position, it's not really coming to you very much, then it's not real long before we'll have guys standing in the outfield doing some of this. A train. A bird. An interesting piece of grass. Whatever it might be, right? And, and so one of the things that we are constantly hollering, I was going to say screaming or yelling, those don't sound very nicely, but uh, that's what we do. And one of the constant things we're saying to these boys, especially when they're out in the field, is get in the ready position. Get in the game too, but get in the, more specifically now, get in the ready position. Now some of you know exactly what the ready position is. It's just this, this basic athletic stance that, uh, that, that we uh, encourage people, especially in baseball, to get into this stance so that they will be ready when the ball comes their way. Not if the ball comes their way, but when the ball comes their way. Because we tell them that it is the time when you are not in the ready position when the ball will come your way. And so you, you got to be in the ready position. And there's lots of different ways that we can begin to think about this and, and different things that they need to be doing. But it is so easy for kids to lose their focus since we're constantly yelling uh, this instruction to them. Get in the ready position. Now, as I began to think about, uh, as I was actually bouncing back and forth this week between assistant coaching and sermon preparation, I began to realize that in this text from Colossians, there are... Uh, some very interesting, well, really, that Paul is giving some clear instruction for the people in Colossae and for us today as to how we are to get into a sort of ready position for mission. How we are to prepare our hearts and ready our action and, and get into this place where we are prepared to be used by God in mission. And it really began to strike me that some of the same specific instructions that we give to our team, these seven, six, seven, and eight-year-old boys, the very specific instructions that we give to them in order to get in the ready position are some of the same specific instructions that Paul is, in a sense, giving to the Colossians and giving to us. I think this will make sense in just a moment, because the first one is this. The, the first instruction that we give to kids to get in the ready position is to bend your knees. Bend your knees. And, and you, you just know this, right? You saw the picture there. If you're if your knees aren't bent, I'm not very ready, right? I mean, you can just kind of tip me over and do whatever you want to with me. But if my knees are bent, then I'm flexible, I'm ready to move. I'm just going to get into the ready position right here for you. Your knees are moving, you're able to respond and react to whatever happens, and you can move quickly to, to whatever is act, whatever's happening in the game. Well, the Apostle Paul gives, I believe, the same instruction to us as we are readying ourselves in the, in the ready position for mission, and that is for us to bend our knees, but not this time to receive a baseball, but to bend our knees in prayer. Did you hear what he said right there at the beginning of Colossians chapter 4, verse 2? Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and being thankful. Here's the reality. If we're going to be a missional people, missional people recognize that if anything good is going to happen, if anything is going to be changed, if anything is going to occur that will be for the blessing of the kingdom, it will ultimately not be because of what we have done. It will be ultimately because of what, what God has done. And so our first and greatest invitation and calling as missional people is to bend our knees, to get down on our knees and to pray and to seek God with all that we have, crying out to him, asking that he would move. 
That he would work, that he would be at work in the world, and that he would be at work in our own hearts and in our own lives, bringing about the kind of change and the kind of transformation and the kind of movement that he so desires to see happen. A couple of ways that Paul uh, invites us to pray specifically in this passage. The first is just to pray for people, right? Bend our knees and to pray for people. He specifically says to pray for him. And we can think about how we need to pray for each other in terms of our ministry, in terms of the work that we're doing, in terms of our ability to, to, to live a good life and to share the gospel and the good news that we've so experienced. We need to pray for one another. You know, when you pray for each other, I invite you not only to pray for the needs that you're facing, for the crises and for the, you know, the urgent problems that so many of us are facing from day to day, but would you remember to pray for each other in terms of each other's ministry and each other's effectiveness and each other's um, mission involvement in the world in which we live? I mean, just look around at each other for a minute. Remember who you're, who you're, who you're worshiping with here. And remember that each of us have a separate context and a unique place where God has placed us, where God has sent us. Unique setting, unique context. And I don't know about you, but I know in the context that God's placed me, I need your prayer. And I just have a feeling that the same is true for you. You need my prayer, and you need the prayers of the people around you, that God would be at work, empowering you, strengthening you, enabling you to live a, a, a powerful Christian witness and to speak in ways that are, are redeeming, that are, that are helpful, and that are blessing to his kingdom. So we're praying for, for each other. We're, we're also praying very specifically. I want to encourage you to do this. I want, I want us to begin to pray even more so. And I think Paul's passage, the passage here would would suggest this, to pray very specifically for those among us who are gifted in the area of evangelism. Evangelism just means sharing the good news, spreading the good news, being one who's able to speak the good news. And so to be gifted, the Bible speaks about certain folks who are gifted in the area of evangelism and, and that these people are in themselves gifts to the church. And among us this morning, we may not even know it. In fact, we probably don't know it. All of the folks here who are gifted as evangelists. But I would encourage us to begin to pray on bended knee. This is what missional people do, by the way. To pray on bended knee for those among us who are gifted in the area of evangelism. To, to become aware of their gifts. And to be strengthened in them. And to be sent out in them to live out and express that gift of evangelism, because we need you. <laughs> we need you desperately if we are to live out and be the kind of missional people that God is inviting us to be. We're, we're praying for people. I remember, uh, many of you remember Terry Barker. Terry's uh, a missionary, and he uh, is uh, in the Horn of Africa, Sudan, Ethiopia, Somalia. He lives here in the United States now, but goes over there and resources ministry teams. When Terry was here to speak at our church, a couple of years ago, he, um, he, he, had, he was here, and it was kind of in between that time, between Sunday school as it's wrapping up, and when church is starting around 10 o'clock, and it was kind of in that in-between time. People were in their Sunday school classes still, and Terry was somewhere. I don't know what he was doing, but his bag was in the back of the church, I remember there, and suddenly his alarm started to go off on his, on his iPhone, and it just was going off. And I don't know, I don't have an iPhone, but this alarm would not stop. And so I reached into his bag. I felt a little bad for doing that, but I reached in because it was bothering the Sunday school class, and I picked it up, and I started walking around with this alarm going off, 
And I'm like looking for Terry. Where are you, Terry? And he was hiding somewhere. I couldn't find him. And it was bothering the whole morning. And then finally I found him. I said, Terry, 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 turn your alarm off, dude. You know, fix this problem. And he's like, oh, I'm really sorry about that, James. And then he turned it off. And I said, well, why do you have your alarm set for 9, you know, 9 in the morning, 9.30? And he goes, well, actually, it's set for 9.38 because Matthew 9.38 says, uh, pray that the Lord would send more workers into the harvest. And, and he set that alarm on his phone so that every morning at 9.38 it would go off and he would be reminded to pray. Because in the Horn of Africa, the Christian church is erupting, it's exploding. There are new believers coming every day to, uh, to Christ, new people coming to Christ every day. And his greatest prayer at this time in his life was, and I think is, that, that God would send more workers into the harvest field. Because you remember the the verse just before that, the fields are ripe for harvest. I believe that that's not only true in the Horn of Africa, but that's true even in Santa Barbara and Carpentria. And that our greatest need then is for workers in the harvest. So let's be praying, not only for this, we're praying for people, we're also praying for open doors and open hearts, right? And he makes that very clear in that passage. Pray for me that there would be an open door for my message. And let's continue to pray not only for ourselves, but let's pray for the environments that we're stepping into, our work and our relationships in these different places, that there would be open doors for us simply to, to be able to live who we are and to be able to share about what Jesus has done in our lives. That there be not only those open doors, but there be open hearts, ready to listen, ready to receive, maybe even ready to respond to what God might be doing in their lives as well. So bend your knees, praying for people, praying for open hearts and open doors. Second instruction we give to the kids is not only bend your knees, but stay on your toes. Stay on your toes. Bend your knees, stay on your toes. Now, this is for the ballerinas in the room. This is not on point. This is not, you know, those toes. This is like the balls of your feet where you're just kind of ready and up on, and you're, and you're again, you're ready to move, and you're ready to respond, and you're ready to react, and so you're up on the balls of your feet. If you are on your heels, again, I am I'm a, I'm a target, right? If you're on your heels, you are, you are easily uh, just set off balance. There's a saying in baseball, especially for infielders, but outfielders as well, to play the ball and don't let the ball play you, right? And when you're on your heels, more often than not, the ball plays you, and you kind of become in a defensive posture to the ball. But when you're up on your toes, you're kind of reaching for it. You're going forward. You're aggressively coming into into that, that defensive play. So stay on your toes. I think Paul's wanting to say the same thing to us in terms of what it means to be missional people. Stay on your toes. Listen to what he says there again in, in this chapter 4. He says in verse 5, Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Make the most of every opportunity. In other words, be careful about the kind of life that you are living. Be careful about the kind of words that you're saying. Be careful about the, the person that you are projecting into the world in which you live, especially before those who are outside of the faith. It's important to do that before those who are inside of the faith, too. Don't get me wrong. But to live a life, really, that is a beautiful testimony to what God can do, what God is doing in your life. This is what missional people do. We stay on our toes. We don't get back on our heels. We aggressively live into what it means to be God's people. We, we, re, we remember that our, our testimony and our life, our example is perhaps our most powerful witness. 
before the lives of people around us. And so the invitation is simply to stay on our toes by living holy lives. And we talked about last week what it means to live a holy life. And basically we talked about how this is kind of, you know, because we're responding to God's call to be holy. We're responding to his invitation. And yet the, the additional part of it here is that we're to live holy lives not just for our sake, and not even just for God's sake, but for the sake of the people around us. That they might see that, that witness. Lives that are filled with and characterized by integrity. Lives that are characterized by kindness. By compassion. By gentleness. These are the kinds of lives that are, that are attractive. That are powerful in the hands of God. To witness and to, to be missional in the world in which we live. Our speaker at our church retreat, our speakers, Jim and Carolyn Johnson, that will be coming in a a couple of months. I was talking with Jim on the phone just this week, and Jim is a uh, professor of psychology and works especially with brain development and with um, uh, kind of special ed kind of stuff happening in schools. And and he's also the, the chaplain for the graduate program at Point Loma. His wife, Carolyn, is an ordained minister. She's, she's really the, as I said, I think in the wave, she's the preacher in the family. I said that somewhere, but she is, uh, she's going to be speaking with us as well. And I was talking with Jim, and he was just coming back from a conference in Cyprus, of all places, and he had been there talking about brain research and brain development, and not a Christian conference at all, but, but through the weekend, evidently, he was kind of, you know, just relating to people and, and, and getting to know folks, and, and on the day that he was to fly out, I think it was Monday night, he was in the airport, and he was with another man that he had just met there at the conference from a, a, a Middle Eastern country, and, and that man was there, and they decided, well, they're both waiting for flights, and so let's, uh, let's have dinner together. And this man wasn't a Christian, but they began to have conversation and just talk about different things, and then finally this man just looked at, at Jim and said, Bill, I just need to know, what makes you a man of peace? What makes you such a peaceful man, Jim? And Jim didn't want to shove it down his throat or anything like that, you know, so he just kind of tiptoed around it for a little while, but then he finally was able to say, you know, I don't know if you have a Bible, if you ever read the Bible, but it speaks of a man named Jesus, and Jesus has just transformed my life. And the guy was like, well, I, I know the Bible, I, I've read the Bible, I'm familiar with that, but, but uh, there's something different. And Jim was able to say, no, that's it. That's what's changed my life. And I want to send you a Bible. I want to send you a different Bible. Maybe it's easier for you to read. And, and the man was still a little bit hesitant. But then finally Jim just said, you know what? It's fine. But I just need you to know that, I just need you to realize that um, before tonight, before this weekend, we, we didn't really know each other. And, uh, you know, even three months ago, we didn't even know each other. And yet we came together at this weekend conference. And then it just so happened that our Flights were taken off about the same time from the airport. And it just so happened that we decided to have a little bit of dinner together. And then it just so happened that you began to ask me some questions about why my life is different. And it just so happened that I was able to talk to you a little bit about who Jesus is. And the man looked back at Jim and he just kind of said, we're not here by accident, are we? (laughs) And Jim was able to say, no, I don't think we are. And I look forward to continuing the conversation. But it was something in Jim's life, just a holy life, in the midst of this conference, you know, presenting papers and having conversations and academic research. But something in Jim's life was able to catch this person's eye and speak to him about what it might mean for Jesus to be at work in his own life. 
living a holy life. Basically, the other way that we say this is just to let your light shine, right? This is what missional people do. We just let our lights shine. And we let God uh, shine them into the places where he wants to. Uh, this little quote from this great book um, called The Shaping of Things to Come, they, they said it like this, built into the very fabric of New Testament teaching on the extension of the kingdom is the assumption that when the Christian community embraces a godly, holy lifestyle, it will so tantalize the wider community that they will too seek after God. Can we embrace a godly, holy lifestyle? So bend your knees, stand your toes. Last one is simply this. We yell at the kids, keep your hands out front. Keep your hands out in front of you. It's amazing how many six, seven, and eight-year-olds stand out in the baseball field with their gloves and their hands on their hips. Or this number right here. You know what happens when you stand like this in baseball and the ball comes to you? It pops you in the forehead. And, uh, you know, those third basemen especially, they stand up close. And so we tell them, keep your hands out in front of you. you got your knees bent. You're on your toes. You don't have to. Or they even do this one. This one's pretty typical, right? Put your glove and your hands on your knees like this. And, and maybe that's how many of us learned it. And yet your glove facing this way and the ball comes at you, not going to work so well. So to turn it this way and be ready for where the ball as it comes to you, keep your hands out in front of you. I think Paul wants to say the same to us as the Christian community as we seek to be his missional, God's missional people in the world. That's to keep our hands out in front of us. And what I mean by that is to keep our hands out in front, being very receptive to all sorts of folks who God might bring our way. God might intersect our lives with whatever their past history, their baggage, their needs, their concerns, their ethnic background, their tribe, their language, whatever it might be that we would have hands out ready to receive them. And that we would also have hands that are out extending, reaching, looking for, um, pressing out into those places where there is hurt, where there is brokenness, where there is great need. Keep your hands out in front. And uh, um, the way that, that Paul talks about this simply there in verse 6, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt. Paul says to let our interaction, to let our, uh, our being with people be filled with the grace of God. We have so experienced the forgiveness and the love and the power of God he says to let that now translate into and through you to the relationships of the people around you. In your, in your communication, in your interaction, whether it be with, with a perfect stranger or with someone that you've known for quite a while, to let that be poured out of your life. To be seasoned with salt, to, to enhance their lives, to build into their lives, to add flavor to their lives, and at the same time perhaps to make them a little bit thirsty. So how, what does this look like? What does it look like to, uh, to keep our hands out in front? Well, very simply, it means to build friendships. Missional people are all about building friendships. And I didn't say the word building relationships on purpose. Because I think it's one thing to say, I'm going to build relationships. And I think it's another thing to say, I'm going to build friendships with people. Because building relationships can kind of be a vague, kind of general, yeah, we have a relationship. Whereas building, building a friendship is something very specific very concrete, very, uh, very uh, able to, to define. And when I'm talking about friendships, I'm talking about authentic, caring, compassionate, uh, genuine friendships. 
I'm talking about not just for the sake of getting people to come to church, friendships. <laughs> I'm talking about friendships that have really no ulterior motive behind them at all, except simply to be friends. I have to admit that I've built a few friendships over my life with ulterior motives. My, my, many of my wife's friends, for example, when we were in college, <laughs> I, uh, <clears throat> you know, get to them and I can get to her. Yes, amen. Nothing like that here. Has anybody ever built a friendship with you for an ulterior motivation? Anybody ever? I mean, have you ever been, you know, I, I want to be your friend. I really just want to use your car, you know, or I want to be your friend. Can I have some of your food, you know, or borrow your clothes or whatever it might be. And, and, and it happens all the time. And we do it all the time as well. You know, I hate to say that, but often we, we build these friendships with, with different motivations in mind. Well, when, when Paul's talking here, when I'm saying here, missional people build friendships with no other motivation in mind than to just be a friend. Just be a friend. Just care for, be compassionate, be kind, be generous, be loving. It, care about the person, invest and be interested in their lives. Enjoy friendship. And then the, what a missional person does is we build friendships and then we just simply trust God to be at work in that friendship, however he wants to. We don't, we don't go into it with this motivation, I'm going to get them to church, or I'm going to get them to do this or that. No, we just go in and be friends, and we let God be the one who brings about whatever transformation, whatever results he would want to bring about. Remember when he called the disciples to be fishers of men, right? He said, come, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. He, uh, remember, very, remember how the fishermen in that day fished, right? They, they didn't have a, a single line that they cast out from the dock. That was not the kind of fishermen that Jesus was raising up. How did, they, how did they fish? With nets, right? They just threw their nets out. And then they just brought them in. And whatever was there is what was there. I think our instruction here is very much similar, if not exactly the same. Cast a net. Throw a net out there. Be friends. A network of friendships. Every Every social network that you can think of. I guess including Facebook. Throw it out there. Become friends. Be friends. Invest in people. We're casting the net wide. And we're allowing as it's brought in God to do whatever he wants to in terms of the work in the lives of these folks. My dad was telling me recently about a man that, uh, that I actually, I don't know him well now, but as a child I knew him well. And my sister knew him as well. Jim and Betty Cox. And they're in pictures of my childhood, throughout my, you know, my childhood photo album, they're, all my birthday parties, and they're giving me presents, and they were, they were obviously a very significant part of the church that we were in, that my dad was pastoring when we were children. And uh, the story about Jim and Betty Cox, though, is that Betty Cox started coming to that church for one reason or another. She just sensed the Lord leading her life. She came. But Jim was a holdout and uh, just wasn't really interested at all. And, uh, and, and so uh, Betty was praying for Jim, and Betty, you know, just asked my dad to be praying for Jim and the church people, and so they began to pray. And then my dad, instead of inviting him to church, he just invited Jim to go play golf. And they just started playing golf together. And before long, Jim was coming to church. 
And then before long, Jim had given his heart to Christ, and Jim and Betty are still a part of that church. Now, uh, Jim recently told my dad, I don't know when he told him this, but my dad just told me this, that Jim at one point had looked at my dad and said, you know what? You never did invite me to church. <laughs> Isn't that cool? I mean, there's nothing wrong with inviting people to church. I tell you to do it all the time. Invite people, you know, it's a great opportunity. But what a beautiful thing that, that he never really did invite him to church. He just invested in a friendship. He just played golf with him. He just cared for him. He just loved him unconditionally. No strings attached. No requirements. No preconditions. Just invested in a friendship. And God is the one that brought Jim to himself. Without even as much as an invitation. I don't know how God will always work in this, but we're called to build friendships. So i got to ask you really quick, what is, your, what is your strategy for building friendships? Do you have one? You're like, James, I'm the most introverted person. I don't do that. Well, get over it, folks. <laughs> I don't have anything really eloquent to say at that point, except for God calls us to this. And so maybe it'll look different for you. Maybe it won't be going out and just waving a banner and saying, hey, be my friend. But it'll be a little different. It'll be strategic. It'll be maybe one person at a time. And that's the second part of this. I think Paul talks about not only where we build friendships, but maybe the way that we do it that's most significant is we do it one conversation at a time. It's one conversation at a time. So what's your strategy of building friendships? Is it with your neighbors? Is it with your coworkers? Is it with your classmates? Uh, We've started just playing soccer on Sunday afternoons. We've been doing it for quite a while. But we're just inviting people to just come and play soccer with us and just having a great time doing it. And, and a guy that I'd coached soccer with a couple years ago, uh, and every time I see him around town, I just say, hey, we play on Sunday afternoons. You should come. And last Sunday he came, and uh, he said, I'll be back. I'm out of town next week, but I'll be back the next week. And he emailed me this week, and he said, okay, I can't come again this week, but I'll be next week. And by the way, can I bring someone with me? And I said, sorry, we're all full. No, I didn't say that. I said, bring him, bring him. And we're just seeing friendships grow and become one conversation, one soccer ball kicked at a time. And my wife and PTA and, you know, you and your different places, what are the, what's your strategy for building friendships? If you don't have one, then I encourage you to get one. This is what it means to be missional, missional people. Oswald Chambers said it like this in his little book, My Utmost for His Highest. I read this last week. Maybe some of you who are reading that devotional book read this as well. I think it was actually a couple weeks ago. He said this. He said, readiness for God means that we are ready to do the tiniest little thing or the great big thing. It makes no difference. This is what it means to be missional. Then he went on to say this. A ready person never needs to get ready struck me. And then this, finally. Think of the time we waste trying to get ready when God has called. Think of the time we waste trying to get ready when God has called. You know, when the line drive is being hit at your nose is not the right time to get into the ready position. It's a little too late at that point, right? The time to be in the ready position is before the pitch is even thrown when things are going to happen. And so the invitation for us is to be missional people that are preparing ourselves, that are putting ourselves into the position, into the stance that we need to be so that God can work in us and that God can work through us. 
If I might just add a, a fourth instruction just really quickly that uh, somebody pointed out to me after Carpentry last night. He said, uh, you know, those, those first three were really good, but the, you know, the other thing we used to do to help the kids is simply this, keep your eye on the ball. <laughs> so in it all, as we're in this position, keeping our eye on Jesus as he moves, as he leads, as he's at work in our hearts and in our lives. Bend your knees, stay on your toes, keep your hands out front, and uh, let's live in the ready position for mission so God can use us as he wants. Let's stand together, can we? Let me pray for you. Dear God, thank you that you are a God who is not static. You are not satisfied with the status quo. You are not interested one bit in just doing church or having your people just kind of do church. We're thankful, oh God, that you are a God who is, who is, who is on the move. <laughs> We're thankful, oh God, that you are um, a God who is sending your people out. That you're a God who is helping us to become all that you would have us to be and using us to help every person become the people that you called and designed them to be. So God, when we sit here or stand here today and we think about perhaps some of the time that we've wasted trying to get ready when you've called us, when we've missed opportunities to be perhaps the voice, the, the one who would speak for you in a situation to build a friendship and we just missed it, God. We're praying and we're believing right now that you can help us, God, to, to move ourselves both individually and as a church body into this new stance, this new shift of thinking, this way of being as a people that is ready to be used by you in new and fresh ways. God, I pray that you would, you would as a church, that you would, you would send us to our knees. Not just even call us or invite us, but you would just send us, oh God, that we would recognize to be missional people, that it all starts with you. And our greatest need is to get aligned with you and to call out to you, and that we can do that through prayer. God, I pray that you would help us to, to recognize that the, the holy lives that you've called us to are not just for ourselves, not just so that we can pat ourselves or each other on the back and say, look how holy you are, but so that we might live holy lives before people who are maybe discovering things about you and looking for folks whose lives are matching up with the words that they say. What an uncommon characteristic in the world in which we live and how powerful a testimony and a witness it can be. God, I pray that you would help us each, even this week, maybe even this very day, to live with our hands out in front, looking, reaching, ready, receptive to those people that you might bring across our path giving us the opportunity to not only engage in conversation, but to build friendship and to watch how you might work, not on our timetable, but on yours, to bring those folks closer and closer to you. We're just so thankful, God, that we can be of use to you some way. So may we be ready today in our hearts and in the lives that we lead. We pray this all in your name. Let's sing together, can't we?